0: will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Shall we pray? O great God of highest heaven, occupy our lowly hearts. Father, You are a God who is great, who is mighty. God of light and God of love. In You there is no sin. There is no corruption. You are holy, holy, holy. But Father, As we look at ourselves, we confess that we fall so short of being like You, Father. How You have designed us to find our joy in You. We do not say, we do not think, we do not act as You have called us to do. We fall so desperately short. Even the greatest among us is still tainted by the tentacles of sin that run deep. But Father, we confess that You are our only hope in life and death. You are a loving and gracious Heavenly Father. That You don't leave us where we are, but You, like the prodigal son, look from a distance, and when You see us, You run to Your children. And You have brought us into Your home. And called us your sons and daughters that we may feast at your table not because of what we have done, not because of who we are, but despite who we are. But Father, You love us too much to leave us where You are. You have poured out Your Spirit into us that moves in our heart and give us eyes to see Christ each day more vividly in high definition glory and splendor. And when we see Christ for who He is, we long to be like Him. And because Christ has freed us from the debt and the weight of sin, it is our joy when He says, follow Me to lay aside the things of this world that rust and fade and do not satisfy and follow Jesus with reckless abandon. Because Jesus is more valuable than all of this world. Father, we thank You. We thank You that in the midst of this world that is broken and dying, Father, You have poured Your Spirit out on Your church that rescues the perishing, that cares for the dying, that goes to the poor, to the broken, to the forgotten, to the overlooked, to the marginalized with the good news of the Gospel that men and women are image bearers of God and that there is no one beyond the grace of Jesus Christ. And you gather men and women from every tribe and in every tongue and in every nation and you bring them close to your heart and you protect them under the shadow of your wings. And Father, we praise You that we are safe under the shelter of our Father's strong arms. Father, we pray this morning for our brothers and sisters in the churches of Louisiana who, at this very moment, though their church lay in ruin and rubble by an arsonist fire, their Savior is strong and alive and true. Though they take the things of this world like good things, like Buildings and places where we can come together. They cannot take our Jesus. They cannot take the life that He brings. And we pray for those churches as they worship that they would find safety and shelter in the gospel. Father, we also turn our attention as we see the images of explosions in the island of Sri Lanka. Father, we do not know how many are dead. But we grieve. This morning as brothers and sisters assemble together to make much of the resurrection and they close their eyes because of a bomb in death. But Father, they open them in the presence of Jesus. And we know... That because of the resurrection, for those who are united to Christ by faith alone, those bodies, though they die today, they will rise whole and strong and new, fully equipped and not tainted by sin, but they will rise again in the new heavens and the earth with the command of our great King when He returns. And they will walk once again. And they will sing praises to our great King Jesus Christ who has conquered sin and death forever and banished it in the depths of hell that you may draw your people and that we may feast in the house of Zion. Father, this is our hope of the resurrection because of the victory in death at Calvary. We have victory because of the empty tune, and we will feast on that mountain one day. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's always the question when you, um, on Easter, what do you preach? And there's always the pressure you have to preach this great sermon and and that uh, is just amazing and I struggle. And and so uh, I decided I settled in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, I want to show the implications of that resurrection. This morning, I woke up early, which is unusual for me, uh, but I came to the church, and often when you come into the church parking lot, if you listen, you can hear the sound of the ocean. The traffic and the hustle and bustle of the beach is silent, and you can hear the ocean. This morning, I, my ears uh, heard the sound of singing as brothers and sisters at the beach were singing praises to our King. And this is a picture that Miss Jenny took this morning at a a church down the road on the ocean as you see the sun rising on the empty cross, on the empty tomb, because the victory we have. came into my office and did the finishing touches on the sermon and cutting and pasting and praying and fretting. And then just to... To uh, give a new topic, as habit often is, I pulled up my browser. Actually, I got an alert on my phone from Open Doors, which is a a Christian organization that monitors persecution throughout the world. And I got an alert that brothers and sisters in Sri Sri Lanka, eight churches and a, a bomb had gone off. This is one of the churches, as you can see, probably immediately after the bomb went off, you see rubble and books and Bibles and hymnals strewn on the floor and racing to be able to, to uh, aid a fallen sister in the middle. And then later on, uh, CNN published this photo and you can see, if you look closely, the blankets that cover the fallen bodies of our brothers and sisters who, in the midst of celebrating the resurrection, close their eyes in death. Uh, over the past several months, as a church, we have had funerals. Andrew, would you go back and clear the background and go to a blank screen for me? At this church, we've had funerals. And this coming week, we will celebrate the life of Sue Key, one of our charter members who for many years lived a life to the glory of God. And this week, after a bout with Alzheimer's and her mind had begun to fade and her body was weak, she closed her eyes in death. And I said, as I'm thinking of this and as thinking of the Um, the struggles within our church and how does the resurrection change this how does it affect us because many of you are young and you don't think about death because you're invincible but as a pastor of Ocean Park over the last five years I've buried almost 20 of our members out of a small church like this that's a big number and i have been painfully aware as we battle with cancer and disease and sickness and addiction and struggles about my inadequacies as a pastor but i know this when i point to the cross and i point to the empty tomb i know that though i am inadequate christ is adequate and he is sufficient And we can cry our grief when we say goodbye to our friends. But we can rejoice because we know that the God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise all who belong to Jesus. And that this morning is the hope of the resurrection that we celebrate. The God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise all who belong to Jesus. Therefore, as we look at this text, I did two points uh, that because of the resurrections, Christians are able to die in hope and that with the promise that they will rise in glory. If you're not already there, First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. It's on page 987 of your Pew Bible. If you don't have a Pew Bible and you're not exactly sure where it is, you can go to the front. The table of contents, it's about three quarters of the way through the New Testament. It'll tell you the page number and you can turn there. Because of the resurrection, we can have confidence that we as Christians can die in hope. We can die well and we can grieve well. Notice the words that Paul writes to this this congregation that was worried about their brothers and sisters who they had laid in death. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. One of the most overwhelming uh, uh, phenomenon that I believe that happens in death is the realization that when we say goodbye to a loved one, how permanent it is. That person is not coming back. And we realize the binners of this. Emily Dickinson, uh, the great poet, uh, she actually wrote a lot of poems about death. She was a bit odd, but she got this one right. She says, all but death can be adjusted. Dynasties repaired, systems settled in their sockets. Citadels dissolved, waste of life re with colors by succeeding springs. Death unto itself exception. It is exempt from change. No matter how you try, no, you can't ignore the enormous void that death has on your life and the feeling in your soul because you will never hear your loved one's voice or touch their hand or feel their presence again. Your home is no longer filled with the warmth and comfort of their presence. You will never pick up the phone and hear their soothing voice on the other end. And every day you have is mingled with unexpected tears, knowing that there is nothing that you can do to reverse the permanency of death. Therefore, when it talks about the sting of death, That is the profound sorrow because it separates us from the ones that we love and we are powerless to change that. Therefore, we grieve and we rightfully grieve because we have lost the one that we love. Now Paul was writing in the context of a group of believers who were worried about those that they had buried, that they had already lost, that somehow they would be left out or forgotten at the coming of the Lord that they awaited. And so what Paul does, because he was actually chased out of town before he could clarify that, wrote the, the book of 1 Thessalonians 2, ease them and to comfort them. We see this in verse 18, encourage one another, comfort one another with these words. So he's writing to comfort them and to equip them. See, the believers didn't need in the face of of death, they didn't need a stiff upper lip, they didn't need five ways to cope, they didn't need to move on with their life because they were living and their loved one was not. They needed the hope of the gospel, and when you know and trust the hope of the gospel, you can grieve well. As Christians, we have the hope of the gospel that we can grieve and we can die well. See, worldly grief says, I have lost all hope because death has stolen everything from me. This was the case back in the thinking of the first century to the original readers. They had people like Theodocris. The- he was third century, he write this, hopes are for the living, the dead have no hope. Now this is, you're saying, gosh, that, that's, that's rough. Well, that same thinking has permeated our world now and people like Christopher Hick- Hitchens and Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins is a, a famous evolutionary biologist and really champion of the new atheism that has infected the internet and TV. And he says this. This was on, um, I believe, the, um, the t- not the tonight show, but another, one of those, one of the TV with the one of the one of the late night shows. They asked him, what happens when you die? And this is what Dawkins said. The brain is what does our, we do our thinking with. The brain is going to rot. That is all there is to it. Now subsequently, this was actually turned down at Hallmark for a sympathy card. Um, it really didn't go over well, so he needs to stick to biology. Um, but Dawkins in really that there is a growing thought That if you accept the basis of evolutionary theology that teaches you that humanity is nothing more than a chemical byproduct of a cosmic accident, you will, as Paul says in the end of verse 13, this, you will grieve like those who have no hope. As Christians, the Gospel allows us to grieve and to grieve well and to grieve with hope. Why? Because it is only the Gospel that says you will not rot in the ground. Christ will raise you up. It's the hope of the resurrection that separates us from the grief of the world. So notice in verse 13, I do not want you to be uninformed, to have bad theology, to have bad doctrine, to have bad thinking, because our thinking affects our life and our assumptions and our grief. When we weep, over losing people who have died in faith. This is the very thing that Jesus and, uh, told Lazarus, told Mary and Martha, and told his disciples. After saying these things, Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him up. See, even though uh, Lazarus was physically dead for four days, Jesus, the Lord over life, had the authority to raise him up with three simple words. Lazarus, come out. Don Carson at the Gospel Coalition says, if Jesus did not qualify who was to come out, all the graves in Jerusalem would have spit their dead. That is the power of Jesus Christ who is Lord over the tomb. Worldly grief says nothing happens. You will simply rot in the ground. It's the logical conclusion. Gospel grief says those who are united to Christ by faith, death is not permanent. Death is temporary. Though it's painful and it hurts to say goodbye, Therefore, what Jesus, notice how how Paul describes death, physical death. He says, those who have what? Fallen asleep. He doesn't say, and this means it's not the human no longer endures the toils of labor and pain and sorrow and they can rest from the, the struggles of this world. We often put the hashtag rip when somebody dies. It's not because he is in some sort of spiritual soul sleep. It's this, is the Christian who closes their eyes in death will be awoken one day in the glory of Christ's kingdom. A Christian who knows and loves the gospel grieves differently because they know that those who are united to Christ, they will be woken up by the God who has power of resurrection over death. Notice verse 14 and 15 of chapter 4. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, qualifier, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in faith. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. When you read these words, these words are absolutely incredible. Those who die in faith do not receive the just penalty for their sin. The New City Catechism that we have gone through, and we're teaching the, the children in Iwana, verse 28, or question 28. What happens after death to those who are not united to Christ by faith? You can ask it in this way What happens if we're not connected by faith to Christ? The answer is this All At the, um, at the day of judgment, they will receive the fearful but just. Sentence of condemnation uh, pronounced against them. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death. And Notice the sobering bad news of the gospel. They will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. Ocean Park, the good news of the gospel is this though we deserve the wrath of God. Those who have faith in the work of Christ, His substitutionary death in our place, and His righteous obedience that He gives us, we are able to stand before our Father and by faith because of who Jesus is and what He has done on the cross. And the great verse that all of our sparks in here know because it's the first verse they memorize, For God so loved the world. He took no pleasure in the death of the righteous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, trusts, follows Jesus with all of their heart because he is the most valuable because of who he is and what he has done should not perish. In other words, should not receive the just condemnation for their sin but have eternal life. Jesus took our death and our punishment, and he gives us the sweetness of his grace that brings us eternal life with the Father. The promise of the gospel boldly declares that those are united by Christ by faith merely sleep, because Jesus... Uh, Death on the cross has spared them the necessity of death. In other words, they do not receive the just penalty of their sin by being cut off from the presence of God. Ocean Park, when Jesus died in our place, the power of death was swallowed up in Jesus. And because Jesus rose from the dead, he ensured that all are united to him by faith that say before the Father, I'm with Jesus I belong to Jesus, they will rise again from the slumber of physical death. Ocean Park, the promise of the gospel is the very same Jesus who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven is returning one day to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But the astonishing thing about their text this morning is that Jesus will not return alone. He will be accompanied by the souls of those who have fallen asleep in faith, who died trusting in who Christ is and what he had done to bring us peace on the cross. Paul writes to another city in another letter to Corinth, he says, Knowing that Jesus was raised from the dead, he will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we know that when we die, and the chances of us all will die before Christ returns. I remember when I was six years old, I driving with my mom, I was convinced I had plenty of time. Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. I'm 41 chances are I'm going to die as well we all will die unless Christ does not return the question is do we die on our own or do we die united to Christ when we lay Sue's body in the ground we grieve because we say goodbye to the gift of a friend when we lay our family members in the ground who had trusted in the Gospel, we say goodbye to the gift of a parent, of a of spouse, of a child, or of a friend. And we grieve because we must give God back the gift He had given to us. The good gift that we have. And it grieves our heart to give Him back that gift. But the, for the believer who trusts in the promise of the Gospel, that grief is is mingled with sweetness because of the hope of the Gospel that the peaceful slumber of those who have died in Christ will one day be woken up when Jesus says, come forth, and they will rise and see Jesus and His kingdom forever and ever. All those who close their eyes in death will open them in Christ's glory of his kingdom. Therefore, Ocean Park, the resurrection, allows us to die in hope because the promise of the gospel assures us that the God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise all who belong to him. Therefore, we can die in hope. But we also know we die in hope because we will one day rise in glory. On Good Friday, a couple days ago, we sat with chairs around the communion table and the curtains were drawn and the lights were turned down. And we had the light of seven candles that were snuffed out gradually until one remained. And as the sun set over the horizon and the sanctuary grew darker and darker, there was one solitary candle that remained in the light on the cross. And we took that candle, knowing that darkness cannot overcome light, and we put that candle and hid it behind the communion table symbolic of the grave. But as we sat around that table and we listened to the lifeless body of Christ being taken off the cross, and wrapped tenderly in cloth and packed with spices as the Jewish custom, and they laid him in the tomb. The weight of our sin was heavy. The darkness was palpable. And we realized the cost of our sin, of our waywardness, of our pride, of our arrogance, of saying, I don't want you in charge. I want what I want, and I want it now. We sang, it was my sin that held him there. If you could put yourselves with that feeling into the shoes of the disciples on Holy Saturday, the grief that they felt because they thought Jesus was the one to redeem them, and now he was dead They've seen Jesus heal the sick. They've seen Jesus raise the dead. They've seen Jesus cast out demons. They, see, they heard Jesus teach with unmatched authority. And as Chris read for us this morning, as they walked on that road, Jesus came, but the Spirit did not allow them to recognize them, and they listened to Him explain how the, the, the Savior had to die and He walked through them. Genesis through Malachi how the Savior had to suffer and die, and their hearts burned because they longed for Christ. But they said, we hoped He was the one to redeem Israel, and their grief was heavy. And now a third day has passed, and their grief, where do we go, Lord? What do we do? We have left everything to follow Him. The disciples were grieving the loss of their master and friends. We often feel that same way as we feel the weight of sin in our bodies. The pain that we have as we grow older, we're reminded that we, this world is not how it's supposed to be. We see governments that are corrupt and oppressive. We see societies that are violent and cruel. We see families that are broken and fragmented and isolated. Our bodies are fraught with illness and sickness and disease. We're separated from the, lo- the, the people that we love because of our careless words and actions that we can't take back, that we said in selfishness and foolishness and haste. We weep tears because of sorrow and death and pain, and they overwhelm us like it did to the disciples on that holy Saturday, and we weep. Often we look around the world and all we can feel and all we can see is darkness. And we forget that we serve the God who is light. The God who in John, He declares the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never, ever extinguish it. The light cannot be extinguished martin luther the great reformer wrote in his uh, great hymn a mighty fortress is our god he said though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us we will not fear for god has willed his truth to triumph full up, through us the prince of darkness grim we tremble not for him his rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, is the basis of Luther's claim that one little word will fell the power of darkness and dispel the shadows and uh, overwhelm, the light with the, uh, overwhelm the world with the glory of the light of God one little word that Jesus utters from the throne of heaven and the host of angels and the souls of all who have died in faith will return to earth and bring heaven on as it is bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven notice verse 16 for the lord himself will descend from heaven this resurrected lord who we praise with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. I know we're like a real conservative Baptist church and we don't all have shoulder joints to lift up that hand, but I cannot believe we wouldn't get an amen for that. The dead in Christ will rise. He is risen. We got it. We're working on it. Christ, who is seated on the throne at the right hand of God, will utter one word. One word that will mobilize the host of angels and stir the slumbering souls of the fallen who have closed their eyes in death, and they will rise when Jesus calls their name. He will give that cry of command as the conquering King. And the voice of the archangel will shout and the m- armies of angels will move. The angels who sing holy, holy, holy. And the long-awaited trumpet will sound announcing the return of the King. The return of the King that in Palm Sunday they, with their little voices, cheered kings now the angels will sing the very prophecy of god when the people god said i will deliver my people in zechariah chapter 9 the lord will appear over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning and the lord will sound the trumpet and they will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south Jesus says this in Matthew 24, and He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from all the four winds, every tribe and tongue and nation, people of every ethnicity and colors and languages will come together in this beautiful tapestry of the grace of God, vibrant in colors, because of, of the grace of God that calls them together and one of the heavens to each other. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, when we think the darkness has overcome, the long-awaited King with all authority over life and death will declare the graves spit out their dead and the bodies will come forth transformed and whole and new. Bodies where the weakness of the perishable will be transformed into the immortal. Bodies that are strong and minds that are clear. Bodies that are unencumbered by weakness and pain and frailty of sin. Bodies that now can perfectly obey the Word and will of God with joy and do His work on on earth as it's done in heaven. Tim Keller explains the glorious future that awaits the coming of the resurrected King. We will have resurrected bodies like Jesus' body, physical bodies. And what that means is that Christians envision the body and the soul, the physical and the spiritual, are together in perfect harmony forever. No other religion envisions that. We will not float as disembodied spirits like... um, Porky, not Porky Pig, Elmer Fudd in Looney Tunes. Often our theology is based more on Looney Tunes than it is on the Word of God. We will, in the new heavens, and the new earth, we dance. Now some of you are a little uncomfortable with that, but you'll figure it out. You won't have two left feet in heaven. You'll be able to dance and jive for the glory of Jesus, and it will be beautiful. We will march and we will hug and we will be embraced and we will eat beautiful, delicious food and we will drink in the kingdom of God. It means all of our deepest longings will be fulfilled and all our greatest sorrows will be swallowed up. Amen? Amen. Ocean Park, the promise of the resurrected Lord should give you comfort should give you encouragement and hope. You can be faithful today because you know Christ's eternal provisions. Provisions that stimulate hope and endurance and joy in the face of persistent trials and pain and sorrow and grief that nags at your heart because you had to say goodbye to good things. Every pain that you feel in your body, in your soul, and your heart and your mind should remind you that Jesus is coming to wipe away every tear from your eyes and vanquish all death and mourning and crying from this beautiful world that he has made as the hymn writer says this is my father's world oh let me ne'er forget that oh the wrongs seem off so strong God is the ruler yet This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King. Let heaven ring. God reigns. Let earth be glad. Brothers and sisters, we all have a real hope that is rooted in Christ's bodily resurrection in the past. And the promise of Jesus is bodily return in the future where we will rise. And notice verse 17. Then we who are alive, those who have Uh, are living for the when Christ returns, the very minority in the history of the people of God. But those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. Sadly, I think often this verse is so encumbered by eschatological... I know that word, I promise. It means the study of the end times. Of so much that has been packed onto this verse, we miss what it really says. Paul is using a metaphor. Paul is using a metaphor about people rushing to the gates of a city to welcome a visiting dignitary and accompany him back into the city. Yet this text and this metaphor that Paul is using, they're not running to see an emperor, a president, a parliament, a general, a a diplomat. They're running through the gates to the city to see the resurrected Lord as He comes, the King of glory leading the souls of the the lost as the bodies rise as glorified and the angels in heaven and they are dropping everything they have and coming to meet Him and to bring Him back into His city where they will be with the Lord forever. Our resurrected King will one day return to His city the new Jerusalem, Mount Zion, and He will dwell in the midst of His people. That return for those who are alive, blessed with that return, their hearts will be overcome with such suddenness and swiftness. They will be snatched away from the lesser joys, the lesser things, the distractions. They will be snatched away, and they will go to see the sun of righteousness rising with healing in His wings. And on that day, The glory of God like the clouds of heaven will settle in over His people and we will see His glory, the glory of the risen Christ, the very glory that filled the tabernacle, the presence of the Lord in Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the temple, the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacles. Revelation 1, the rest of the story says this, Behold he, Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end. He is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see Him, even though who, those who pierced Him. And all tribes of the earth, every man and woman and tongue and nation and ethnicity will see the glory of the coming King. And the earth will wail on account of Him, even so. Amen. And here's the greatest promise, not that we see the light show that Jesus will put on that will blow our minds. Here's the greatest pro- promise of this text. It's verse 17. We will always be with the Lord. Pure joy. Pure beauty. It won't be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. That's boring. It'll be a new heaven and a new earth where we get little glimpses of what heaven will be like now. Little flickers of the glory of heaven that peeks through the gates and we see them in good food and good music and good friends. And when we hold a newborn baby, we feel the joy and of this, this glory of heaven. Like when we sing as brothers and sisters uh, in that moment that we feel, wow, that is just a sliver, an infinitesimal foretaste of glory divine. Like when you were a little boy or a little girl on Thanksgiving morning, your mom and your dad gave you a little bite of what was to come and it was good and you wanted more. Brothers and sisters, we have a little bit of that on Sunday mornings when we come together and we sing and we hear the glory of God. When we're with together with our family and we have the when we walk beside the beauty of the ocean and we see the vastness of the stars and we hear good music and food and and dancing for you, dancing Baptist, it's okay. We will taste that glory, and that will all be good because we do it with Jesus. God will dwell with his people. Keller continues, he says, we're going to enjoy God forever because God is triune with himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been glorifying each other, delighting in each other, adorning each other, loving each other. Therefore, God within Himself has infinite joy and we are created to share in that joy. We are created to glorify Him and participate in the glory and joy. But none of us, even the strongest Christians today, have ever experienced what joy is like. Sue Key, when I called Ginny, I offered my condolences. And I said, I'm sorry. and sorry, and as just how difficult it was for her in the last months and years and Jenny's response is she's glorious now the joy is made complete because she is with her savior in the new heavens and new earth and there a day when her body will rise back from the grave whole and her mind will be clear and true Even the best Christian is perfect and cosmic and infinite, endless, growing joy because all of us worship and adore other things. Someday we will be freed from sin and we will know and experience that that glory and joy, we will enjoy Christ forever. The resurrection allows us to die in hope knowing that we will rise in glory because of the promise of the glory that assures us that the God who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise those who belong to Jesus. Therefore, we can grieve those. And we ourselves can die in hope knowing that we will rise in glory. And notice the last words of verse 18. Therefore, encourage, comfort, one another with these words this morning very briefly trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus just as Jesus asked Peter who do they say I am and who do you say I am you must answer that today who do you say that I am There are many that says that Jesus was just a legend. He was the creation of people, wishful thinking. Many people that says Jesus was just a good man who taught good things, but he died a tragic death at the end. And those who believe in the gospel trust the risen Lord. Jesus is the promised Savior who has come to redeem his people from the shackles of sin, enable them to, because he lived righteously. He obeyed in behalf of his people, and he died on behalf of his people as a substitute on the cross. And death could not hold them, him. And three days later, he rose victorious. And this morning, Jesus says, Follow me. Trust who I am and what I have done. The second is this hope in grief know that darkness cannot overwhelm the light death is not the end the darkness of pain and sorrow and injustice in our world will not and cannot overcome the light of the world the light shines in the darkness and we have been taken we take that light and to go into all the world as outposts of the light of christ and the darkness can never extinguish it trust in Christ's death and resurrection, hope in the midst of grief and darkness, and thirdly, await Christ's return. There will be a day when all that is broken and wounded and downtrodden will be made whole. Sin will be vanquished to hell and all pain and mourning and sorrow will be wiped away. The dead in Christ will rise to new life and all who are united to Christ by faith will forever be with the Lord. So I ask you this morning, do you know Christ? Do you hope in his death and resurrection? Do you await his return? Because the promise of the gospel is this: the God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise all those who belong to Jesus. A few years back, uh, Denise and I, and I believe the kids were also went home to Connecticut. My parents were living there at the time, and um, I had been reading the diary of David Brainerd, who was a great missionary to the Native Americans in Northampton, Massachusetts, so I wanted to visit his grave. And it was a Puritan graveyard in Northampton, Massachusetts on Bridge Street. And there were people like Solomon Stoddard, the great um, preacher in Northampton, and David Brainerd, and there were congressmen and women who were in this graveyard. But it was the anonymous people that time has forgotten that I stopped and I looked at their gravestones. There were two people, especially, that struck me with profundity because of their hope in the resurrection of those who were united to Christ. The first one was Mrs. Eleanor Clark. Oh, there she is. No, that's her gravestone, not her. She died November 22nd in 1812. She was 66 years old. I don't know anything about her. I know uh, she was married. She had several children, but that's all we know. But the Puritans had this great way of etching in the stone reminders. I don't know if it was Mrs. Clark who came up with this reminder or her children, but I have a picture of it zoomed in, but it wouldn't do much good from your distance. I want to read it to you. Why should we mourn departing or shake at death's alarms? Tis but the voice which Jesus sends to call us to his arms. I wandered, after taking a picture and just contemplating that, I wandered over to another headstone of a young man. Oh, there it is. A young man who died a a few years earlier than Mrs. Clark. His name was George Hunt. He died October 28, 1795, and it said 32 years of age. The research I did, he had two children and a wife. And for the last 220 years, his tombstone has been a reminder to all who have visited there that Christians, because of the resurrection, are able to grieve in hope. His tombstone simply says this, God, who from nothing baked this clay, has power to raise it to eternal day. See, that's the the hope of the resurrection. The hope of the resurrection that says the God who raised Jesus from the dead will raise all who die in faith and who belong to Jesus.